0: Welcome to TALC, Teaching and Learning Consultation Skills. This is the TALC Talks podcast, helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills, to get better outcomes, and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction. TALC Module 11 Chapter 2, Holding the Calm, the Roles of Systems and Organisations. Aggressive, abusive or potentially violent encounters between staff and patients cause considerable stress and distress for many healthcare professionals. This is even more acute when abusive conversations take a racist form or if patients abuse staff for other protected characteristics. Organisations have responsibilities to maintain safe and appropriate working environments for their staff. So what does this mean in the context of healthcare and aggressive or abusive conversations? So in this chapter, there are three questions that are considered. Firstly, what can organisations do to create a safe environment for their staff? Secondly, what can individual teams do to create the psychological safety which is so important for team members to work well? And thirdly, What do professional organisations contribute to our understanding of creating safe working environments? So what can overall organisations do to create a safe environment for their staff? There is considerable legislation and guidance of all kinds for employers and employees about health and safety at work. This includes assessment of relevant risks, provision of appropriate protective equipment or training, access to appropriate rest and other facilities, including access to services, such as first aid perhaps. A full consideration of all that is required is beyond the scope of the TALC resources, which are focused on developing the communication and consultation skills of all healthcare professionals. However, attention to harassment and abuse at work has been highlighted in the TALC resources because reported episodes seem to be increasing and are extremely distressing for professionals and moreover, they carry a risk of harm. This then implies that health and safety issues must be carefully considered. What kinds of abuse or harassment exist and what can be done to manage risk and mitigate harm? Here is one definition of harassment from the TUC which is useful for organisations and teams to consider. It's clear that the conduct of colleagues is also covered by this definition, which describes harassment as unwanted conduct related to a relevant protected characteristic, which has the purpose or effect of violating an individual's dignity or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment for that individual. Creating adequate protection from similar abuses from patients or users of services is also clearly essential. And the TUC report goes on to state, In addition, public sector employers are bound by the stronger public sector equality duty, which places on them a duty to integrate consideration of equality and good relations into their day-to-day business. These statements certainly imply that patients should not be disadvantaged by reason of their status, gender, class or race. And, of course, the same considerations should apply to staff members, too. In summary, employing organisations should be clear that they don't accept harassment or abuse and that they should ensure that policies exist for dealing with any harassment at work. This must be accompanied by relevant training with systems in place to support staff who are affected by abuse. This entails also having suitable reporting methods that result in appropriate action if abuse or harassment is reported. So what factors could organisations consider when preventing abusive conversations with patients? What messages can organisations send to patients who use their services? It is worth considering how services themselves may promote approaches that violate, in the words of the TUC, an individual's dignity or create an intimidating, hostile, humiliating environment. This may happen in various ways in organisations, usually unintentionally, I think. Inconsistencies or lack of information can have unintended consequences. For example, appointment systems and follow-up systems need to be clear and appropriately accessible. If patients have to ring and leave a message several times before they get a response, or if promised appointments are not sent on time, or if care is repeatedly cancelled or postponed without explanation, then this is bound to cause frustration and eventually anger. Some systems of accessing care can seem hostile or even humiliating to those who are less articulate or less able to negotiate, perhaps because they lack language skills or they are illiterate. While abusive behaviour cannot be condoned, there may also be personal factors which lead an individual to respond with aggression and abuse if their attempts to access the care they need seem to be in vain. Those who have been affected by severe trauma or mental illness or individuals who are less articulate or who lack self-regulation skills may all be very readily frustrated by the complex systems that make up modern healthcare. Organisations can work to avoid blocking and frustrating a patient's efforts to make contact or get information. The wording of messages needs to be positive and clear and focus on the patient's needs. It's obviously unhelpful if a letter says, our information line is open at 9am, only for a patient to ring at 10am and get a message saying, this service is now closed and will open at 9am. In such situations, some patients will try to get their real needs met in whichever way they can, sometimes feeling that aggression is the only way to get results because they've been frustrated by the normal routes. A review of the National Health Service in the decades since the Francis report comments that avoidable harm may follow failure to listen to the voices of patients. These voices are not always polite or articulate, and yet they may still be conveying important information about the functioning of systems and organisations must take heed. Allwood and Montori contend that to develop an effective way forwards through what they call the post-pandemic fog, We must move beyond systems that are inspired by industrialised processes and transactions. Attention to the patient's biography, as well as their biology, is crucial. Care can be designed with kindness, the focus being on compassion and humanity for staff and patients. Many systems can seem very impersonal. Delivering care that is, for patients like this, rather than care for this specific individual. If treated impersonally, patients can feel neglected and disregarded, and this can fan the flames of conflicts or abuse in some situations. Other organisational messages may also have unintended effects, making angry responses more likely. Some organisations take the approach that a big poster with large letters saying, we have zero tolerance for abuse of our staff is an adequate way to put this message across to users of the service. It can be said that we feed what we focus on and people in waiting rooms might feel insulted by the suggestion that they would even consider abusing staff. Would it be better to feed what we want to feed on, that's to say mutually respectful approaches? Would a to have different outcomes if it said something like We value the kind, respectful and compassionate behaviour of all our staff and patients. Thank you for upholding these values when you visit our service. Let us care for each other so that we can care for you. No individual who is agitated or angry responds well to being told to calm down in an interpersonal interaction. Similarly, organisations need to be mindful of the emotional tone of what they're communicating to groups of patients also. What can teams do to create the psychological safety which is so important for team members to work well? All healthcare has the potential to be stressful. Healthcare professionals are constantly exposed to suffering, the possibility of death, and to patients who are themselves stressed, distressed, and upset. This is rewarding and yet also at times demanding work. The extensive and comprehensive evidence summarised in the book Compassionomics makes it clear that when compassionate care is delivered with empathy, then both patients, and perhaps less obviously staff, receive great benefit. Not only do improved outcomes include better care, lower mortality rates and faster healing, they also promote professional job satisfaction and reduce burnout, which are good benefits for staff. Most healthcare professionals work in teams of some kind and team working is a crucial factor which enables staff members to deliver care with compassion and empathy. This requires that all colleagues must also be cared for, valued and supported. And this understanding has led to the concept of psychological safety within teams. This safety is variously defined and usually encompasses the following beliefs that being a member of a team means that you will be treated with respect by other team members that when team members speak up with ideas concerns or contributions they will be listened to and heard respectfully that team members will not embarrass reject or punish each other for soliciting feedback expressing feedback or commenting on the business of the team A state of psychological safety within teams can be fostered by behaviours that promote healthy and respectful relationships, and these include, for example, ensuring that everybody feels included in their team. This can be fostered by ensuring that the team meet regularly, that time is taken to learn everyone's name and correct pronunciations, that everyone is invited to contribute, even quieter or more junior members. Ensuring that all contributions are heard and valued is vital. This aspect will be promoted if the leader or chair of the team ensures that everybody gets to contribute and that there is active listening. There are various ways to achieve this. One example would be that before speaking, each team member could be asked to summarise exactly what their colleague has said in the previous contribution. It's surprisingly difficult to do this sometimes if people aren't really paying attention. Teams must ensure that mistakes and feedback are reframed as learning opportunities. These are opportunities for individual and team growth and development without blaming or shaming team members. Another aspect is to ensure that challenges to the status quo can be heard and explored. Now, this may mean the team hearing some uncomfortable messages about the harassment, discrimination or other difficulties that team members may be experiencing. This should be seen as an opportunity for learning, developing, and offering support to all team members. Team members should be willing to notice discrimination against others, to work against discrimination and to support colleagues who are being discriminated against. In short, teams should value all their members and no one should fear being embarrassed marginalized, ignored or punished if they speak up. Leaders of teams need to take a consultative and supportive approach, modeling transparent and open communication. There's plenty of information available about how to build effective and supportive teams. Leaders can look for opportunities to take further training in this key area of work. Psychological safety at work will also be promoted when healthcare professionals are members of an appropriate professional body or trade union such as the BMA or RCN. Their teams can provide valuable advice, support and information about issues of all kinds that arise at work, including discrimination or harassment. So, what do the professional organisations contribute to our understanding of creating safe working environments? The key purpose of the Talk resources is to concentrate on the interpersonal consultation skills that healthcare professionals require for successful working. However, it is worth highlighting that most professional bodies have published guidance about dealing with harassment or discrimination, albeit largely from the point of view of organisational and formal responses, rather than dealing with the skills needed in the heat of the moment. Here are some illustrative examples. The general medical council duties of a doctor requires doctors to treat patients as individuals and respect their dignity, treat patients politely and considerately, work in partnership with patients, listen to and respond to their concerns and preferences, never discriminate unfairly against patients or colleagues. The GMC has several resources about combating racism and discrimination, and the references to these materials are in the PDF. The Nursing and Midwifery Council Code of Practice emphasises that nurses and midwives must have an understanding of, and the ability to challenge discriminatory behaviour, as well as providing safe, respectful, empowering and equitable care, irrespective of social context and setting. And again, this implies nurses and midwives need the skills to do this. There's a British Medical Association report on how to deal with discrimination from patients and their guardians and relatives. And it discusses the rights that patients have to health care and those specific exceptions when patients have preferences about certain protected characteristics. There are also reflections on the more extreme situations which may mean care cannot be given unconditionally, for example, if patients have been persistently aggressive. And in those situations, special arrangements may need to be made. There's a lot of information in the references and resources that go with this chapter, and healthcare professionals could do well to delve deeper into this area. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators. Making training available to all.